Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy, Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Looking for a way to make online learning a better option for your family? When it comes to virtual learning, experience matters. Tuition-free K-12-powered schools are ready to put over 20 years of experience to work for you, giving your child the personalized learning they deserve without disruptions. With a K-12-powered school, students gain the skills they need to be prepared for their next steps in life, building a better future for each one of us. K-12, education for any one. Learn more at k12.com. What's that five lyric? Um, like, what's their big? I don't know. I mean, Everybody like, uh, get up! You, sing no, I was, think, I was thinking like, uh, well, if you got the feeling, jump to the ceiling, five and make you feel. Oh all yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Let the power the Didn't five have a? Didn't five have a music video where one of the members just couldn't turn up, so they had like a cut out of them? That was good. I think it might have been. Abs. I think that did yeah. happen. Yeah. Classic, like a classic urban legend. No, okay. I've seen the video, but um, <laughs> oh, so it is a real. I thing. was watching okay, it last night. Stuff. Okay, <laughs> not the inauguration. All right, okay, fair enough. Um, shall we go? It's go time. My name is Dave Hanrady and there will be No Encore. Welcome to episode 253 of the No Encore Music Podcast on the Headstuff Podcast Network. We're back for our first episode proper of the new year, having done a quiz last week, which Craig was triumphant. I assume, Spoilers. Craig, you have just been... Well, I mean, I... It f- was a given, a week, wasn't it? You know? I, know, I know it was against the Queen of Quizzes, um, FJ Jones, but uh, I don't know. Uh, it, was, it was touch and go, wasn't it? It was touch and go, yeah. I mean, I, I've had some people get on to me and say, like, like most people's reaction has been like, oh man, I'd fucking rinse these two. And I'm like, yeah, because you're answering every question. They weren't answering every question. Like, you're not doing a fair summation or a proper. A lot of Mark people Conroy, were saying that, were they? Did yeah, you I, I heard, Twitter, I heard yeah. Mark's comments, yeah. I feel like people weren't getting into the spirit 
of the show, like which was mainly about us entertaining you. Yeah, it wasn't a competition against you, the listener. All right. I don't want to hear it. Right. I did my best. And it turns out my best was good enough. <laughs> yeah, you won. Congratulations, buddy. Well done. However, I should note, um, not everyone is, is is happy with you, Craig. As a matter of fact, I mean, I've had some people get in touch and they were oh, like, Jesus. you need to do the quiz more often. It was a lot of fun. And I was like, oh, maybe I can make it a quarterly thing if I just change the theme. But um, at least one person, Craig, has fucking called you out. Let's hear that audio right now. Yo, Craig, what's up, man? Listen. I saw what you did to Fanula, man. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed that little two-piece combo you gave her. She got cocky, and you came with the win. So let me just say, first off, fair play to you. But also, most importantly, I'm not, I'm not impressed, you know? I think I can still get you off the paint. So I'm going to say you know now, bro. I'm calling you out. I don't think you have the sauce to beat me. I know my shit. Once it's not too much rock shit, you know what I'm saying? Well, besides that, I know my shit. I'm calling you out. You know where I'm at, which is home, because everyone's home, because it's COVID-19. I. That's right. It's uh, it's fellow Kildare native, Max Zanger yeah. of Tebby Rex. He's calling you out for a quiz. How do you feel about that? You've been challenged officially. I have, yeah. Um, God, he'll do anything for a bit of PR, won't he? <laughs> I like the spirit that was intended in, though. Yeah, I like it's just going to be a common thing where just like there's a new challenger randomly popping up that I have to defeat. Yeah, um, I figure I can do this. I figure I can do this like like at least at least quarterly. I, I figure I can do this at least four times a year. He's got Probably. a lot of confidence. It serves him well musically, but I don't know. He might be all talk in this regard. We'll, we'll we might see. Um, I will need to rest up for several months though because last yeah, week took yeah, a course, lot out of, course, of me. Yeah. It's hyper competitive, and yeah, well, look, watch this space. There may be another quiz, but you have been challenged, and there you go. So we got to honor that if it happens. Uh, you should also honor if you're a fan of cinema and us talking about movies. The latest no popcorn, our 2020 review with myself, David Higgins, and Norma Howard is out now in your podcast feed. Another one coming quite soon. And thank you, by the way, to David Tapley of Tandem Felix fame for editing that episode and several recent episodes of it as well. Uh, I forgot to thank you on the man. show. Because, you know, you're putting it together, you're not sure who's going to edit it, and he's done a fantastic job, and we, we love him so. Uh, Patreon.com slash noencore, by the way, if you want to throw us the price of an outlawed pint and get access to bonus episodes, playlists, etc. And, yeah, thank you so much, by the way, for all the support. It means an awful lot, especially coming into a new year. Seeing that in front of us is great, and that's why I'm talking from behind a giant shield right now. Um, what else is going on, man? I think we'll just jump into the news but before we do on this episode let's probably preview it sorry I'm a bit all over the place it is mid-January we're all hanging in there uh, our album review this week is Zane of One Direction fame he's back with his third record it's called Nobody Is Listening and we'll find out if that was the appropriate <laughs> title or not uh, and as a result, face, really <laughs> I know, I know, that happens all the time. I like it, though. Uh, our top five, however, this week is inspired by the young man, Zane. It's post-band Solo Adventures. I was hoping to have a snappier title for that, but I just couldn't think of one. It's kind of yeah. say what you see, really, isn't it? So it's like... It is, and I've used some fuzzy logic, so, like, post-band can kind of mean to one side of a band. But yeah, I guess just kind of, you know, when people strike it out alone and try and make it for themselves, um, we're doing best and worst as well. We are, I've indeed. got some absolute doozies, when it comes to the worst, as you can imagine. Well, this is the thing. I mean, like, it's usually me on worst. And it, people have said before, let Craig have a go. So that's what I'm doing. I'm taking best. It's positive Dave today. And it's time to move on with the show. Let's get into the news. <laughs> uh, congratulations to my old friend, Amanda Palmer, 
protagonist Yay. of reality. Well done to her. Uh, of course, you may have noticed this week there was a certain event in, in the United States of America in which Joe Biden was inaugurated as the 45th president of the United States. 46th, was he? I can't remember, even though I've watched it for the last 24 hours. Uh, congratulations to the Biden administration, nonetheless. And uh, Amanda, like, people have had tweets. People have had takes. People are talking about it. You know, everyone's, everyone wants to insert themselves into, into the narrative. It's what, it's, what, it's what they do. It's what social media is all about. Craig is very broken today. Sorry, uh, it's just your, your congratulations to the Biden administration. Line was just <laughs> hilarious. Like it's an official arty. message from No Encore. <laughs> like yeah, the T-shirt spoken. No Encore. Like <laughs> we endorse it. Michael D. Higgins. Uh, so listen, Amanda Palmer, who you may know from the Dresden Dolls, her own solo work, and generally being really fucking insufferable, uh, took to Twitter as people do, and she put up a tweet and she said, "Just just walked into a coffee shop here in New Zealand, and everybody behind the counter, not really knowing me, but knowing I was American, erupted." in spontaneous applause now yeah and now (laughs) that line not really knowing me but knowing i was american so is that like a subtle kind of a humble brag of like they don't know me personally but they know me because i'm famous or is that like was she giving off big american vibes i'm going with the latter Oh, well, hold on. Third option. This didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably that one, yes. Uh, she did update her tweet, though, a few hours later, and she said, this tweet also spawned the first time I've seen, quote, Yankee go home in my feed from a Kiwi. So clearly, yes, some people here hate Americans. Good to know. Thanks, guys. The takeaway, stick to the coffee shops where people seem to be consistently kind. Uh, it didn't happen. Twitter is its own little subculture, and it can be a bit toxic, and it can be a bit bad, but there are instances where people put up stuff that their kids have said or whatever and you're just like for fuck's sake man and Amanda Palmer I mean listen it's not the first or the last time she will um, say things for attention I would suggest but look fair play to her people especially Americans had the right to feel a bit happy for 24 hours I did see a good tweet earlier on that people were like oh just let people enjoy things and it's like yeah I enjoy critical analysis and being a hater and I'm like oh my god that's me (laughs) that is that is like you know before people start um, getting on people's back about enjoying stuff there is of course the deluge of people getting on people's back for getting on people's back for getting on people's back for you know what I mean so it's just like people are already preempting what they think people are going to say constantly and Twitter sucks essentially and on and on and Ariston and in further throwback references the bucket hat is back let's have some music from Joe Biden's inauguration the only song that we need to hear I think Hi I'm the lead singer from the New Radicals the band ended over 20 years ago before our second single was even released so when we heard that You Get What You Give was a Biden family anthem we pledged if Joe won we'd get together and play our little song both in memory and in honor of our new president's patriot son, Bo, and also with the prayer of Joe being able to bring our country together again. Joe, Kamala, this one's for you. Wake up, kids, we got the dreamer's disease. Age 14, we got you down on your knees. So polite, but busy still saying
Are we playing this entire song? Because <laughs> I'm, I'm four-ish. <laughs> it's a good minute of it. There we go. No, we're that not playing great. the entire song, Craig. That's the New Radicals. That's a You Get What You Give, a 1998 hit. That was Greg Alexander there, who would go on to write for the likes of Ronan Keating and several others, I believe. He's a, a man who's kind of walked away from the music industry, but came back for this special occasion. Now, it should be noted, uh, Greg Alexander mentions it there. He mentions Joe Biden's late son, Bo Biden, who passed away in 2015 following a battle with cancer. And I believe this song was the, the family's kind of rallying cry. So it has a poignancy to it, which is great. And it's a cool little yeah. curio to see them come back for one night only. Even if they did leave out the line about, you know, going after bankers and healthcare and the FDA and Marilyn Manson and Courtney we'll Love and Hanson. Yeah. yeah, that wasn't that wasn't included because it was it was time to sanitize it. Uh, kind vibes you, only, Dave. <laughs> did you tune in? Did you see Garth Brooks, J-Lo, Lady Gaga and all the others? I saw a bit of Garth, the G-Man. Um, not G-Money, that's David Guetta, of course, as listeners of the show will know. Um, it was on the background, I was working away. It was kind of... You know, like, I woke up this morning after New Radicals and all that magic, and it should have been, like, a new dawn, but I still had the same amount of work to do, and I realised I hadn't properly saved a keynote file, and it was, like, I was essentially, like, Randy Marsh in South Park after the Obama celebrations, where he's just, like, wakes up the next day hungover, he's like, nothing changed. But, um, (laughs) for one night, people had a bit of hope, and, I guess, Tom Hanks, and, I don't know, Dave, did you watch the whole thing? I watched some of it. It'd be weird, by the way, if, like, your leak slip life was changed overnight by the President of the United States coming into power. Um, I watched some of it. I watched, like, the inauguration speeches and stuff, and uh, Lady Gaga went for it. J-Lo said, let's get loud. That was fun. Garth Brooks made a show of himself and was was, was pretty funny. What happened? Uh, he forgot his hat, did he? Was that uh, he basically just, it? He, he was going around hugging people like he was fucking, like, like uh, he'd scored the winning goal. It was just great. Uh, hugging people, and a pandemic, no less. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> yeah, it was a bit of pageantry. I mean, listen, I'm not going to talk too much about American politics. Let's move on to our next story, which is about American politics. It's time to put some respect on the clown name, because four years ago, when Donald Trump took office, the political writer Matt... Tybee? It looks like Tybee, Tybee. Yeah. he's paid for Man United, uh, published it, Man United, uh, hello, I'm from Drada, uh, published a book <laughs> about the first Trump, came call- first Trump campaign called Insane Clown President, which is a great title, let's be honest. Just works, uh, yeah, it just works. Not, it ju- just rolls off the tongue. Now, it wasn't the first time that someone has invoked the spectre of the long-running Detroit rap duo Insane Clown Posse. Uh, mm. There was an article in The Atlantic, a pretty good website, actually, uh, published an opinion piece this week called What to Do with Trumpus, which compared Paired Donald Trump to Insane Clown Posse and their fans. And Violent J of the act is not pleased. He has hit out and given out about this and said, I can't believe The Atlantic would hire a writer, presumably for his expertise in journalism, who's that off the mark, as well as an editor for his or her fact-checking abilities, who obviously lives within a separate a reality separate from our own when it comes to define who the juggalos truly are and what they're about. The truth is it fucking hurts and it's scary seeing professional adults acting like savage bullies. Sad bullshit like this makes me question the media in general and lose a little faith about everything I've just read. Said that uh, juggalos are easy targets and very misunderstood and it's actually all about spreading peace and love. And uh, who knew that the legacy of Donald Trump, Craig, would be insane clown posse giving out about fake news in their direction. Not me. They've really uh, turned me around in recent years. Like, they cancelled their gathering because of COVID concerns. They seem like sensible types. And I do, it does seem like for all the face paint and kind of weirdness, the Juggalos are quite a broad church. 
and do like a lot of charity work and stuff and like yeah it's nice to see the artists actually defend the honor of the fans who um you know it seems like there's a lot worse stands out there at the moment so yeah yeah trump's legacy that and totally ruining ymca uh, I can't get over that being his signature theme song. Um, so, Craig, you're hopping on the Juggalo bandwagon and saying Clown Posse are, are now in Craig Corner, I suppose, uh, that I'm creating on the yeah. spot here. Uh, one artist who I think will be shuffling off that patch of land is Ariel Pink, who was present for the uh, oh, Capitol Hill riot two weeks ago. Uh, well, hold on. Be- he, cl- he claimed he was just at the rally bit and then he went for a nap. <laughs> Well, I mean, there's nothing better than a post-riot nap. I mean, come on. But listen, we've talked about Ariel Pink on this show before. We reviewed his most recent record, I think, dedicated to Bobby Jemison in 2017. We were fans. Round and Round by Ariel Pink's Haunted Graffiti is one of our favourite songs. Um, But it appears maybe maybe he has always been a bit problematic. He did wind up, however, in conversation on Fox News with Tucker Carlson. And as as loath as I am to play the audio, here's the audio. There's no kind of... I, I don't know what I don't know man I don't know what I'm gonna do you had no choice basically if you want to tell your story I had no choice I had no choice there's nothing else for me to do I, I can't even afford my lawyer right now so last question what do you think the purpose of all of this is well I think it's desperation and fear that's driving this whole thing I think uh, I think there's a there's a, there's a, there's been a very very big effort to unseat the president, or at least not let him have four more years, which I think is fair. I mean, he lost, and I think he lost fairly. I'm not disputing anything. I'm, Biden is perfectly fine with me as president, um, but I think that there was just uh, no. I think that they're still scared or something like that. It seems like uh, they're sore winners at this point, and uh, people seem to want to kick me down as well, uh, much like uh, like they have Trump um, kick us down when we're down. I don't think you know. I believe that they're. I don't even know what. Uh, I don't know what's, what the future is with regards to, to Trump, but I think uh, you know it's it's. I don't know. I, I, I don't want to comment on that. They're sore winners. They're sore winners. Yeah. I don't know Talk what the future like is one. in regards to the Trump. The focused, Trump. <laughs> focused conversation from Ariel Pink there. Now, before we unpack that, Craig, I've got some breaking news here. Uh, my good friend Adam Walker, who I've talked about before, he's something of a musical North Star for me growing up. He pointed me to so much great music. I don't know if I'd be a music journalist and hosting the yeah. show without him, such as his influence. Um, I think he's still based in New Zealand these days. So I messaged him earlier on about the Amanda Palmer as incident. He spotted <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. Give <laughs> us an I update. Said, <laughs> I sent him the tweet and I said, please do something and he's just messaged me back and he said whoa now I worked in hospitality in New Zealand for six years and I can say the only time this happens is when the waiter drops a tray of drinks proving Kiwis are far too cynical for this bullshit so there we go as if we needed confirmation thank you very much Adam for that on the ground report back to Ariel Pink Craig uh, where to even begin here really I mean what a pathetic situation this is well let's begin with the weird exchange between Tucker Carlson and Ariel Pink it's just like yet another surreal moment of watching these bizarre worlds like interact and like Tucker Carlson doing you know his bullshit straight-laced Republican thing 
and also having to pretend that he knows who Ariel Pink is or like had any clue who he was prior to this story breaking and kind of treating him like as an upstanding citizen but clearly like um, trying to like you could see his face kind of twitch as he realised oh this is one of those like arty guys he's a bit of a loose cannon Um, so that was funny just him jumping on top of that Um, not so funny was the whole thing around Ariel Pink because it's just like Okay, like, desperately sad if he supports Trump. Um, But this nonsense of, like, him feeling like he's being cancelled and being dropped by the label and, like, he's an artist who has been fiercely independent for all of his career. Uh, For years he would have said he was, you know, someone that couldn't be cancelled because he does it all himself. So all of this spiel was rubbish. There's also reports that he's bit of a trust fund guy so you know he's okay for cash there's other weird stories circulating about him and kind of grimmer stuff that i don't know much about but people were suggesting this as like uh diversion tactics i don't know but for a long time as as you said you know i adored a lot of his music i was hoping he was kind of the you know artistic edgelord type who would do performance art weirdness and push the boundaries of stuff um but it seems like he's just a prat (laughs) a total prat (laughs) Yeah, no, he's, um, he's, I think he's also been accused of sexual assault as well. So, you know, which I believe he denies, of course, but, uh, it not looking good. Uh, an artist that we can probably throw on the, on the cancelled heap, even though, you know, cancel culture and its own fucking whatever the fuck. I mean, we talked about this actually on a Patreon bonus episode recently in the Q&A about like what level of cancellation must an artist receive before you will turn your back on them or whatever. And I'd like to think that we gave a fairly nuanced answer to that and a fairly kind of lengthy, uh, explanation of how we feel about these kind of things but i mean like it should go without saying that if in particular if the sexual assault allegations prove to be correct well then game over buddy and rightly fucking so and as for the trump stuff yeah it's just it's genuinely bizarre like there's a, a youtube comment you know which i always love going to the first one i saw on this was imagine 10 years ago someone tells you that ariel pink is going to be on fox news talking to tucker carlson about how his career was ended by attending a rally for donald trump the 45th president of the united states just before a siege was performed on the capitol by rioters who thought the election was rigged amidst a global pandemic your head would explode and that is kind of how it feels uh grim business and we'll move on from that grim business and talk about phil specter who's dead good night uh did you see the bbc headline the bbc news headline about this talented but flawed producer phil specter dead at 81 can you underline for us why that's a strange headline to go with um because the flaws include being a convicted murderer david <laughs> um yeah, it's real lexicon of losers in this uh, running order. Um, hey, you put me in so, charge of news for the week, pal. <laughs> I'll do what I can. You know, it's been known for years how um, despicable of a human being Phil Spector was. Um, just very abusive for decades. Um, liable to be carrying a gun in studio at all times. Uh, infamously threatened Leonard Cohn when he worked on his album uh, by pointing a gun at Leonard and saying, uh, I love you, Leonard. And Leonard Cohn just went, I hope so, Phil. Um, but yeah, culminated in 2003 with the murder, um, of, uh, an actress that he just like bumped into, I think that night she'd gone back to his house and his kind of MO seemed to be like when someone wanted to leave, they would be threatened with a gun. Um, so Lana Clarkson was sadly his victim and he's been in prison for the guts of a decade now i think the interesting thing around this story is just as you said like how the media have been handling it because like he's such a huge influence on pop music the wall of sound thing um just kind of changed production styles um so many iconic songs and all of that can we divorce it from this monstrous human being 
Um, so it's just, it's weird seeing these kind of obituary slash tributes slash not really float in. Yeah. I mean, ultimately it's, I, I was talking about it on the radio during the week. It's that thing of like, you can in one breath discuss the CV, the legacy, the, the innovations, the incredible back catalogue and also be like, well, convicted murderer who murdered a woman in cold blood fuck you and i think that is mostly where people are going i haven't seen anyone mounting a big defense like there's a very good article no. in the guardian laura snape's got a really good article about the toxicity of a you know the male predatory producer and th- there are many examples thereof him being perhaps the pinnacle of it and it's an interesting role and you know all that kind of stuff so uh, yeah very bad I, it's just one of the things where i was like look i don't want to spend too much time talking about this but you kind of have to talk about it he was in prison for more than the guts of a decade he was in prison for like fucking 18 years at this stage and covid got him in the end he died alone in prison i think darlene love said look i'm very sad about how this has ended ronnie specter meanwhile was like you know this is a big day because of the pain and the trauma that i've gone through which she did and uh ultimately it's 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 to be celebrated that she escaped and that she went on to have her own life and she went on to outlive him and she's a, a, a figure in music who deserves more respect i would suggest and hopefully coming out the back of this that's kind of what's happening people are kind of lionizing her and there's a galvanizing force around her as there should be i mean like these things can be complex but i kind of feel like there are barriers there are thresholds that once crossed you just can't come back from i'm afraid well uh, to that point dave just in terms of like how how long he was banged up for um i think it was in 2009 he was found guilty of secondary murder but in that kind of span of time and after the news was out of like what he'd done he got married (laughs) he like found a younger woman and like i was just digging around and just like some articles about her just being like oh he's a changed man and feels great as she like kind of potters around his big mansion so um yeah, I wonder how she did in the will. Interesting, but yeah, great to see um, his victims, uh, a lot of his victims outlive him. The Ronnie Spector stuff was horrible. Such a talented artist and doubly horrible that like she becomes known as Ronnie Spector and that is the name. And again, it's for her misogyny and stuff and she can't escape that kind of shadow. Um, but yeah, yeah, just a horrible story all around. Also rotting in the dirt, Glastonbury, which has cancelled its festival for 2021. Uh, As of today's recording, Emily and Michael Ewis issued a statement saying, in spite of our efforts to move heaven and earth, it has become clear that we simply will not be able to make the festival happen this year. We are so sorry to let you all down. The event will not be rescheduled for this year. How's that Primavera ticket looking for you now, Crago? I still am optimistic (laughs) that it will happen sometime this decade. (laughs) Uh, this yeah, decade I don't know. seems reasonable, perhaps. Yeah, I'd going so. going by Primavera organizers um, over the past year, I imagine what we'll get is an email within the next few weeks saying that it's been moved to September, and then an email in about June saying that it will no longer take place. So, well, uh, I mean, we'll listen, mate, like fucking our own health minister Stephen Donnelly said today that all adults can expect to be vaccinated by September, and I spoke to a healthcare professional today, and they said no, that won't happen because this whole thing has been <laughs> terribly managed and it's not moving at the speed that it should be moving they're behind there's problems with getting the vaccines etc these things change by the day i mean we had richard chambers on the show last month and we talked about how there was cause for hope and there is cause for hope there remains cause for hope for sure and it looked like maybe you know we'll find ourselves in marley park in july seeing kendrick lamar at longitude but now of course 
the way things have changed. I mean, like, you know, you've got the new variants, you've got, like, uh, excess horror on a daily basis in terms of the numbers that you're seeing, and you can't escape that. You have to reckon with those things. You have to appreciate that it's just not really the time for a 210,000-person festival in the UK. And what it means for Irish festivals, I mean, I was saying that Glastonbury is kind of a beacon, you know? It could very well be the first domino to fall, but who knows? I mean, I want to be optimistic. I want to believe that maybe come September, come whatever, we will find ourselves back at gigs, but I just don't see... I just don't see major things happening. But like I say, there is there is cause for optimism. I don't want to fucking make anybody feel miserable. Uh, it's tricky, though. I really hope that you get to go to Primavera. I'd love it. I mean, you might have to quarantine for a long time, but uh, I guess it'd be <laughs> worth it. <laughs> like, yeah, maybe. If it like turns into a month-long thing either side, maybe not. I don't know. It was landing the same weekend, uh, the initial dates, as uh, a wedding I was going to go to in Austria. You love a wedding. Well, I, you love a I do love... <laughs> I love a stag. Uh, unfortunately, there's us- usually weddings attached. Um, I wonder, will that go ahead as well? They were both falling on the same weekend. So my only plans for 12 months were on the same weekend. And I presume both will move probably to the same weekend next year. Well, I mean, like it was actually this time last week after we recorded the show, after Craig's triumphant quiz performance, uh, that it was announced uh, that it was a proposal to mark the end of the pandemic with a Europe-wide set of gigs put forward by our own Minister for Tourism, Culture, Arts, Gale Talk, Sport and Media, and presumably other things too, Catherine Martin. Uh, she met with other European Union culture media ministers remotely last month and proposed that kind of a, a live aid type event with lots of concerts all over the world to mark the ending of the pandemic, whenever that is. I mean, it's nice to see those words written down, but I don't know when that is. Uh, I did find this funny. I found this funny that a uh, fucking rent to quote himself, Professor Luke O'Neill, who <laughs> just pops up everywhere all the time, uh, believes such an event would quote boost spirits. And I sent this article to Dahi, and Dahi because I said I could quote, and it was like, uh, "Big gig would be good. People agree," <laughs> which is like, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Luke O'Neill, whoever Co- goes on to say, COVID <laughs> failed to dampen spirits. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus, Luke O'Neill says it's a bit like VE Day. We're all dying for something to look forward to. We're all dying. Oh my god, <laughs> when it would be safe to do it? I know. It's outrageous. Like, what the fuck? This is the guy. This is the guy. I said, Eamon Dunphy now. This is the guy. This is the guy who, like, fucking was like my favorite song at the moment is Monster by The Automatic. And oh, this monster could be that damn pandemic. Uh, He goes on to say, because I guess people are calling him up all the time, you could make it a fundraiser to raise money for those who have suffered, etc. Would you like to see Johnny Burrell, Johnny Burrell, white jeans on, Bono coming together? singing the songs. It's the pandemic. It's over. We won. Bono heckling the coronavirus from the stage, you know? We did it. We did it, Joe. You're the President of the United States. Do you know what? I really would. (laughs) I really, really (laughs) would. I'm being 100% genuine and yeah. Yeah. Definitely Razor like top of the bill. Okay. Let's do not, it. Let's make not, it happen. Not a not Van Morrison or Roger Daltrey then, no? Two men who've been sounding off. They this still week. banging on about yeah, Van's taking uh COVID to court, I believe. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's about time. It's about time someone can't did play you know? his gigs, his monotonous <laughs> monotonous gigs. Um yeah, he's launching a legal challenge against the pandemic ban on live music and uh yeah, I guess we'll see how that plays out, but it's just like Van, at this stage you've made your money just Take it easy. Relax. 
rave on van morrison listen i think it's all about escapism now it's about the little things that we can do whether it's diving into a fucking video game going for a run or whatever it is that gets you through i endorse it and i definitely endorse you checking out other shows on the headstuff podcast network such as this one come on sissy that pod let's get sickening are you a fan of the emmy award-winning show rupaul's drag race do you think about roxy andrews at the bus stop and do you belong in party city well sissy that pod is the podcast for you join me james and my co-host keen is there something on my face as we chat weekly about the runway realness sickening shade and backstage buffoonery that's right whether it's new episodes of drag race us uk or all stars sissy that pod will spill the tea with a new episode for you within 24 hours so make good choices and subscribe to sissy that pod from the headstuff podcast network and we'll leave you gagging on our eleganza now let the music play Okay, time for some music. Time for some new music. Time for an album review. It's Zane. You know him. One Direction guy. This song is called Vibes. And uh, let's take a listen to it. Type of things that happen in your dreams. Cause you're right where you need to be. Just don't keep me. That's Vibes with a Z, so you know it's all edgy and stuff. And that is Zane. It's his third record. The second one might have escaped you. The record is called Nobody Is Listening. And now, with his first primer of 2021, I give you Craig Fitzpatrick. Thank you. Hyped. Yeah, so Zane, as you pointed out, former One Directioner, um, Bradford's finest, with apologies to street magician Dynamo. I've had a busy week, Dave, but not without its rabbit holes of procrastination. Um, yeah, and former, like he's a no-encore OG. We reviewed that debut solo excursion in the first year of this very show, uh, Mind of Mine. It did quite well. It was like the first kind of dispatch from uh, the One Direction guys. Debuted, number one, the UK and US. First single did anyway, Pillow Talk. Um, I think we found it somewhat wanting. So, you know, it boasted plenty of kind of big name pop talent behind the scenes, but was lacking a bit on personality, true bops. He seemed a little unsure of himself. And I think our like our feeling was we can't wait to like give him a second chance and there's potential there. Um, so the second album arrived in 2018 and we did not give him said second chance. Um, I think we ran the rule over the single uh, Sour Diesel and kind of left well enough alone. Uh, but Icarus Falls did okay kind of critically, I think. It was a bit more ambitious. Um, it did not do so well in the charts. Icarus Falls, as well as the title, it's just like Icarus is such basic-ass mythology, really, isn't it? It's just like, but I don't also, know, maybe that's what... <laughs> yes, if, go ahead. If I may hijack this sacred segment Please for just do. a second, I'll just note that, like, first of all, it was 29 songs long, or thereabouts, but even worse than that, man, I think it came out on the 18th of December, and, like, we talked about this before, and I don't want to be the guy who tells a musician what to do, but if anyone is listening to this who is a musician and you're going to put out music, I have to give you the strongest possible advice... Please don't release an album on the 18th of December. People aren't interested. And it's true of major artists as well. And I'm sure it finds its audience. I'm sure it finds its fan base. And people are happy. But like, fuck me. It's like, people are closing up shop. Nobody wants to know. December. Especially late December. Christ, no. So I've never even bothered listening to it, man. 
Yeah, and I think like since then he's kept up this like anti PR marketing or doing anything to push his work vibe. Um, like even with this new album, he's done very few interviews, if any. He like did like an Instagram live thing where he was just listening to tracks and like smoking in the middle of the night. Um, he's had a lot going on. Um, so he's uh, he has a he's a new father. Um, so lots to talk about there. I guess uh, he's he did a track for the Aladdin um, soundtrack. And the single Better arrived last September, um, kind of came and went to my mind. He said, of course, he said this is like his most personal release to date. And yeah, he's in kind of like steady relationship, new fodder. There should be plenty to talk about. The danger is he'll do a Justin Bieber and we get a change of thing where it's just like, I love my wife. Um, I'd always thought like he seemed like too much of a deep thinker for one of those kind of records. Not so sure now, really. Um, (laughs) You know, what does he really want to do and how well can he do it still remains the question. So, Dave, I ask you, is is this the real Zane? Um, A person we've never met, so that's an unfair question. But more more pertinently, is it really good pop music? Uh, I mean, it feels like the real Zane if we take him at his word. And it seems like, I mean, yeah, three albums in, you know, especially like three albums in, what, five years, you want to be fucking hitting your stride, don't you? You want to be figuring it out narratively. Um, It's boring. (laughs) Like, it's not very (laughs) compelling, is it? I mean, it's not bad. But like, okay, let's start with the opening track. It's a track called Calamity. And it's just Stormzy, right? It's just like, I'm Stormzy now for this one, I suppose, because he's doing a rap. And at first I was like, who's this guy he's got in? Oh, it's him. He's doing the spoken word. That's what he sounds like when he's not singing. Okay, cool. And it's not bad. It's actually the most interesting thing on here, but it's just a Stormzy song right down to the piano and the vocal cadence. It's just Stormzy. And like, don't get me wrong, Stormzy fucking rules. But dude, find your lane, right? Do your own thing, especially three albums in. And it has no real kind of bearing over the rest of the record. It's a record that's drenched in production, you know, kind of flourishes and nuances, I suppose. Sounds great. Um, I think there's a song called Sweat, which I've enjoyed a bit, but it's just very derivative. And it's also that thing of like, I like sex. <laughs> it's like, cool, good <laughs> stuff, man. I'm glad that you're having sex with a supermodel. You're in your 20s. You're smoking drugs. Good stuff. You're a rock star. Good man. Uh, good on you. But where are the songs? Um, like, it's not terrible. There's a couple of tracks here that are definite duds. There's one called Connection. His vocal in there is just really painful to listen to. Uh, one called Windowsill that doesn't quite work. It ends kind of nicely, but it's just very, like, came and went. And in a week in which um, the Shame album came out, which, you know, won't even save it for other listening now, Shame, British kind of punk band who I didn't really get into. I never really bothered with their first album. They were just dolloped in with the likes of Fontaine's and Murder Capital and Idols. Um, And I was like, yeah, I'll get to them someday, much like I got to Idols on their last album, you know. And I was listening to the Shame album and I was like, this fucking rules. <laughs> this is great. Yeah. I love this. And then going back to the Zane album, I was like, well, I guess I got to go back to that fucking Zane album. And I mean, like, that's even me being a bit harsh. I think as a personality, he remains interesting and elusive in some ways. And I'm happy for him to be out there, especially in terms of representation and the whole post boy band thing in which he felt he was overlooked, I suppose. And it's cool to see him carving out his corner of the world. I do believe him when he says it's the most personal thing he's done to date. Seems like he has creative control. I applaud him for making a 36 minute record after making a fucking, (laughs) or is it it 41 minutes? I, I think it's short enough. But after making like that last kind of mega thing, and Mind of Mine was a long record 
record as well. So it's like, cool, you've pared it down. You've clearly worked hard on it, but it just feels too often like he's tapping into trends and he never floats above it Icarus style. What do you think? You mentioned that kind of low-key intro and the low-key fade-out. Uh, I didn't really like either. It also boasts the low-key entire middle section. And yeah, particularly on Calamity, that opener where he's doing the spoken word thing, which I guess is going for like, this is the unvarnished look at the mind of Zane. It's like direct conversation. It's very British as well. Like there's BAFTA nods and stuff, which just made my eyes roll. But it's still somehow a bit bland. Like he sounded to me just in his delivery, like he was like a reluctant footballer who's trying to remember his media training in like a post-match interview. It just, he didn't seem there. Um, Maybe that's like him talking about like living with the cannabis. Maybe it's that detached thing. But overall... Yeah, bless this dude because I'm rooting for him. Uh, he seems like a good bloke, does a lot of charity work. Um, I agree oh with God, him that Craig, One Direction like, were terrible. Like, 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 <laughs> like you're really fucking... <laughs> Listen, so... nothing nothing here is a disgrace. It's yeah, like listenable. Definitely not. But my God, yeah, like life is too short. So I would say to the listener, don't really bother with this. <laughs> um, like life yeah. is short and Zane's doing what he loves here, I guess. So I'm happy for him, but... You know what? Fuck it. I'm going to call an audible. I fully agree with you. Uh, it's a four out of ten. Let's just move on. <laughs> we totally good. Yeah. Well, why, why, why bother spending another ten minutes on? There's no point. Like, yeah, I agree. You can just file it under music that makes sex sound deeply unsexy. I would give it a, probably a three or four out of ten. Okay. I, mean, I mentioned uh, I mentioned Shame there. Their album is called uh, Drunk Tank pink i think i keep getting the fucking name wrong but i think i have it right there and i really have enjoyed it i've really enjoyed it this week uh it's been gritty escapism you know which might not sound great but it it feels very january in a good way i'd highly encourage you to check it out instead of the zane album that we're not going to be listening to again uh craig made me a jeff rosenstock playlist when i waxed lyrical about touche amore on the end of your episodes and i love it craig thank you so much delighted yeah it's Um, really fucking cool it's been with me now for a few weeks that's great. Yeah, like his influences, I knew that we, like he it was uh, deeply in debt to stuff you love and he's very kind of witty and the lyrics are great and just bags of hooks and like well-timed guitar explosions, cathartic as feck. I've actually been listening to it a lot as well. Um, and yeah, Jeff's the man, so I'm, I'm delighted you enjoyed it. I've also been listening to Wolf Parade again because I'll Believe in Anything, which is one of my favourite songs of all time, popped up in a film I was watching and I fucking, I had the DiCaprio in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood reaction. I was like, what? That song? I, I didn't, I've never heard it in a film before. And I went mental. It's astonishing. It's just so good. Uh, I think myself and yourself had a big Metallica binge last Thursday night as well when on Twitter. Yeah, and half were of Irish Twitter. Yeah. yeah, it was great. <laughs> I enjoyed that Latter, for Latter day Metallica as well. <laughs> Halo on Fire, still your number one. It is great, but... Uh, yeah, it's... definitely the kind of last two minutes where that riff comes in. Just the outro for me is like top five Metallica moments of all time, i say. Uh, also... Uh, Moth- 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 of Flame is amazing as well. Moth- and Flame is, is, is a stormer, as we all know. Also, I've been listening to a song Dahi sent me, uh, Big Pig. The song is Feels Right. Came out in November and I missed it completely and it's an absolute bop. And speaking of absolute bops, next Friday, Elaine May is returning with May Kay of Fight Like Apes fame, of Like Galaxy fame, of Being May K fame. The song is called No Forever, and I've had it for a couple of weeks now. It's fucking incredible, and it genuinely, genuinely made me forget about the pandemic for almost six minutes. I'm hoping to get a chat with the gals in, hopefully for next nice. week, maybe. Uh, Super song group. rules. Song fucking rules. And it's going to be the first kind of announcement of Elaine's forthcoming debut album. Elaine has been, for me, like maybe the best kept 
you know, Irish musical secret for so long now. I really hope this is a breakout year for her because I can't think of an artist who would deserve that more. Uh, has always been kind of just doing incredible things. And this song is such an announcement. It's such a statement and it's so good. It's immediate in that kind of way. So look for that next Friday. What have you been listening to, Craig? Uh, I'm still on my jazz trip. So I've been trying to wade through the classics. The most recent has been Charles Mingus. Are you a fan, Dave? Um, the album um, the Black Saints I mean, and The Sinner fan, Lady. Fan's a big <laughs> statement, you know. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to yeah. put myself on the line here. That LP is brilliant. It's a really good, like, entry record, I think, because it's just really accessible and listenable. And uh, yeah, Mingus rules. I've been listening to that. In terms of current music, Dave, I suppose you want to know about that as well, right? I would like um, to, yeah, if that's possible, please. There's <laughs> a new track from William Doyle um, of East India Youth fame. Um, or kind of lowercase fame, but we were big fans of that project. And William Doyle's now just working under his own name. Uh, the new track is And Everything Changed, But I Feel All Right. And um, yeah, he's still got like a real knack for subtle earworms. And the instrumentation is great. It's just like high concept pop. It sounds very good. Um, I think an album is following in March. Um, so yeah, that's something to get hype for, for sure. Okay, it's time for our top five this week. Craig, I teased it earlier on. Would you like to nail it down? Yeah, so this is looking at big acts that then saw one of their members um, fly the the nest, go solo with mixed results. So Dave, you're looking at the best kind of post-band career moments, I guess. Top five of those. And I'm going to look at the absolute disasters. Um, There was too many of those to count. So I think my kind of criteria was just going with my gut reaction, like the, the visceral response to the songs. Uh, there was a lot of laughs to be had. Did you struggle with pairing yours down to five? How did you approach um, the best post-band I, solo endeavors? I, I struggled in as much as like, you, we're going solo adventures here, so it's not formed a band. So for example, yes, yeah. like, you know, I mean, of course, if it was, we all know that Foo Fighters and Dave Grohl would be my number one pick for best because of just how incredible yeah. they are. Uh, a perfect band, really, you could say. But ultimately, it was, no, it was acts who went solo by themselves, Zane style, but in my case with a bit more success. Um, I did find it tough because, you know, you can get into the weeds on this one, right? And I kind of was like, no, no, I'm going to go with my gut here. And normally, like, when I put this together, I kind of, like, I try and find, like, lots of little anecdotal stuff and lots of little tidbits and kind of whatever. Uh, I didn't do that this week, which is a nice way of saying I didn't do my research. But well, no, that's not really what it is. <laughs> will be a short is, segment. <laughs> no, but it's just like I just felt I really wanted to just kind of really go instinctively with all of this. And in terms of putting together the five, in terms of what I'm going to say about them, etc., I'm going to speak from the heart, Craig, because I'm not usually in the best position here. I'm usually the guy who's tearing everyone down. I'm the antagonist, you know. And so this week I thought, why don't I just sit in front of the microphone, see what comes. And that's what we'll do. Does that sound good to you? Because it sounds pretty fucking good to me. Sounds like podcast magic, Dave. Okay, well, uh, let's hit it then. Uh, So I'm on best. These are people who were in acts, left them acrimoniously or otherwise, went out on their own. And again, I'm not doing necessarily career overviews. I'm picking highlights for my kind of audio here. So uh, let's kick it off with a bang at number five for me. Fuck all y'all. God damn, I'm glad y'all set it off. Used to be hard, now you just went and saw Bert, you was down with the AK. And now I see you on a video with Michelet, looking like straight bozos. I saw it coming, that's why I went solo, and kept on stomping. When well, y'all motherfuckers move straight out of Compton. Living with the whites, one big house, and not another nigga in sight. I started off with too much cargo, dropped four niggas, now I'm making all the dough. White man just pulling. 
The niggas with attitudes, who you fooling? Y'all niggas just phony. I put that on my mama and my dead homies. Yellow boys on your team, so you're losing. Hey, yo, Drake, stick to producing. Calling me on a butt, you Benedict. Easy E, saw your ass and win in it quick. You got jealous when I got my own company. But I'm a man, and ain't nobody helping me. Trying to sound like American most. You can yell all day, but you don't come close. So that's a song by the name of No Vaseline by Ice Cube after he left NWA. Now, listen, it's a song that is very aggressive, very edgy. It has lots of lyrics in there that are highly questionable and you won't hear me repeating but you gotta respect the man's perspective where he was at the time all that kind of stuff and also if you strip all that away for just a minute i think you'll appreciate that it is a song that makes you fucking move right it is like an immediate banger it's incredible it came on in an office one day i worked in i ran like the clappers to turn it off and i left it on and for one brief moment we were all like this song fucking rules even though it's really vile at times uh this of course was his big riposte to nw feeling like he was being held back he wasn't happy with anything that was going on in the act at the time especially management concerns and so on and his own star feeling kind of wasn't rising the way he wanted to uh, Straight out of Compton that film from a few years ago which is good not great it feels like a bit of a TV movie it has a couple of great moments though and it was great to go to the cinema and hear those songs in a big screen but also the scene in which uh, the remaining members of NWA hear this song for the first time is wonderful. Paul Giamatti going crazy as uh, yeah. their manager and just all the lads being just like going from being awestruck by it. And then when one of them gets mentioned, they're like, oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> uh, in that film, of course, Ice Cube is played by his real life son, O'Shea Jackson Jr., who I fucking love, by the way. He's a great actor, really charismatic and cool. Um, and that was a great moment, especially because, again, you're in the cinema and that song just starts blaring for like two minutes and you're just like, this is outstanding. Like I say, if you scrutinize it, you can absolutely correctly take it to task for homophobia, for anti-Semitism, for misogyny. But I'm not a gangster rapper from the late 80s. I don't know what it was like. Ice Cube did, and I think he captured it quite violently, brilliantly. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, it was the original story of Adidon, um, so got to give it props. And for sure, when you hear it in the film, just like in the cinema, that bass rattling, it's such a powerful moment. And he had a great solo career before, obviously, the pinnacle of, you know, his artistic life being Daddy Daycare, I guess. But, that's um, not the film he's in. No, America's Most of... Wanted was... <laughs> that's a different film altogether. I don't know. He's in a lot of those he's films. In... No, he's in... Can you... Are we there yet? Are we there uh, yet? I yeah. haven't seen any of them. Fucking <laughs> Who's hell. in Daddy Daycare? Is that Vin Eddie Diesel Murphy? or something? <laughs> different that? actor, Craig. Uh, the, the debut album is very good. Uh, the Bomb Squad are on it, so the production's great. And then he had singles, you know. It was a good day. It was like... 93 i think um even at that stage it felt like he was a bit um of a separate generation and you'd got kind of snoop coming through and tupac and stuff so he had a short enough career as a solo artist but um yeah as as good if not better musically than a lot of the nwa stuff so i'll stand by it. yeah for good shout yeah i think like it's more a case of like it's such a huge statement and it, i think it automatically made him a solo artist. It made him like a, a definitive individual. You know, it, like it, it, it got him what he wanted, which was to break out from the group. It got him to be like his own guy. And yes, granted, these days he's in mostly fairly crap comedies, but like he's carved out a career and a life for himself. Uh, seems like a fascinating individual. And I think ultimately, if you're going to break up, you break up like this. What have you got for me at number five on the worst, Craig? 
So some of these are going to be hard because there are musicians I adore. Um, when I say some, actually, I probably just mean one, this one. Yeah, that is backfired. <laughs> Testing fate again. Um, attempting face Debbie Harry there, um, launching her solo career. Um, around about this time, it was 1981. Um, like the likes of Rapture and stuff had just come out. Um, so Blondie were still a thing, but they were nearly creatively spent and they were done with the next album, uh, The Hunter, pretty much. But she issued a press release that said um, her name was not Debbie Blondie. Um, or Debbie Harry, but rather Deborah Harry. And basically she wanted to separate herself from that character she was uh, portraying in the band. And yeah, she didn't get off to a great start with this solo album. It was called Cuckoo. <laughs> it was produced by Niall Rogers and Bernard Edwards of Chic. And it's just so odd and weird and musically horrible, right? Just from that clip. I mean, it's kind of leaning into dance. It's kind of got the proto hip hop vibes of, say, Rapture. Um, but just like even the cover art, if you seek it out, is her with like ske- metal skewers through her face, like a Hellraiser or something. It was banned in stores, so the album wasn't <laughs> selling well whatsoever. And you just hear it there. It's like Black Sabbath kind of guitar stabs, and then like this weird plastic jazz sound going on, this boogie thing. And we talked about Dee Dee Ramone going rap um, on a previous episode and she actually was on one of the tracks and we're like, wow, she must have been a really good friend to like actually jump on that kind of project. But no, it just seems like her judgment was really off in the 80s. Um, And yeah, like so she kind of um, retreated from view a bit after this failure. And actually she was, um, she's partner with Chris Diner was at the time in Blondie and he fell quite ill with an autoimmune disease and she was kind of tending to him and they had a life together and um that was very admirable she she attempted some other kind of solo stuff she did that song rush rush that was in scarface it was a marauder thing to remember that dave and it just it actually bombed commercially as well even though it was in that film and she had a couple of other dalliances she had a song in um 1986 called french kissing in the usa from an album called Rockbird. And it was written by Ch- Chuck Lorre. <laughs> yes, that one. Later to collaborate with Charlie Sheen to stunning results. Two and a half Chuck Lorre, who created Two and a Half Men and like the Big Bang Theory. Ugh. He started off as a struggling musician. He also wrote the team tune to Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Um, that's good. So that's good that. Yeah. Uh, sorry, I well, love yeah. that you were like. I, I, I love that you were like. Do you remember that one, Dave? As if I'm a huge Scarface guy. <laughs> like three out of five at a push. I was just wondering, friend. could you picture that scene where I think it's like, I think it's Michelle Pfeiffer just like in the disco, just kind of bopping along to Rush Rush, give me. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I, I, iconic stuff. Yeah, in fairness, yeah. <laughs> um, but it's weird. I mean, like, it takes a lot to make Debbie Harry sound uncool. Um, and yeah, I guess like Black Sabbath guitar riff mania aside. 
this just sounds like fucking Muzak, right? Like, it sounds like what you'd expect to hear if you walked into a supermarket in the 70s or the 80s. It's very cheap. It's just very formless. And I, I didn't even realize it was her un, un, until you said it. I was like, what? <laughs> like, it's so kind of identityless. Not good, I would suggest. Not good at all. What have you got, Dave? Right. Uh, I'll, I'll pick it up, right? So, listen, I messaged Adam earlier on today. And I was like, did I put this in the top five before? I think I did. Maybe I didn't, but it doesn't matter because it's one of the best songs of all time. At number four. Yeah, it's a song in which uh, yes. I feel like <laughs> yeah, I feel like the careers of uh, feel like the careers of Ti Timberland and of course Justin Timberlake peaked. That's my love from Future Sex Love Sounds. It's just a, a perfect pop song, right? Like a perfect song, five stars, ten out of ten, every single time. It's astounding, and it's Justin Timberlake. It's 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 after you know he'd broken out. I mean, I I thought of it going with Crimea River. As like more of an announcement track, although I think that was the second single from Justified in 2003. But I don't love that one the way I love this one. And I think Mirrors Aside in 2013, it's kind of been all downhill for the boy Timberlake. Although I believe he and his wife, Jessica Beale, just welcomed a new child who they've named Phineas. I presume he's trying to get in on that Billy Idris thing and give himself yeah. a career again. But like, congratulations to them. Very happy We're for doing them. a lot of personal well wishes here where it's just like lovely just family to, though. <laughs> the new section was a bit grim, so I'm just trying to yeah. fucking bring up the vibes, you know, positive vibes, Zane style. Um, what can you say about a song like My Love? It's astonishing. Uh, Timberlake post NSYNC, he seemed like the guy, right? He seemed like the one who would break out. He had the look, the ringlets, the Britney Spears relationship, the breakup, the gossip columns, etc. Can he the do double it denim. by himself? The double denim, who could forget? Can he do it by himself? I would say, yeah, absolutely. Like, listen, Timberlake's good. He can be cringe and awful, but he can also be fucking amazing. And this was this was the peak, right? This was the height of it. This was the king of cool, just like outrageously good songs. Everyone was obsessed with it. You walked into any club in the mid two thousands, and Sexy Back was playing. And you know, even 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 though I was a bit hard won over when I got there, I was like, Jesus Christ, some of this stuff is amazing. My love is fucking unbelievable. Uh, we want the best for the man. I don't know if he's going to get back to that. He was not at the inauguration. I didn't stick around to see what he was doing. Uh, obviously, Man of the Woods, his album from a couple of years ago, is a disgrace. Um, he's a, he's a, he's an odd one, you know. I mean, like NSYNC had their moments, but I think you know he managed to leave it behind. He managed to kind of transition out very very well. He's had a, a a fairly successful acting career, like you know, like like he's he's bona fide, you might say, Greg. Yeah, I actually thought the ringlets might count against him, but he's done quite well for himself, and I do think he is, you know. He's an all-rounder. He's an amazing performer. He can turn his hand to kind of anything, but he does need that kind of like wise guiding force, I think. And obviously Timbaland's just all over this record in particular with just, was probably peak Timbaland where he was 
right at the cutting edge, the biggest kind of pop producer in the world, hip hop producer, and giving most of his best beats and productions to Justin Timberlake. And yeah, this song in particular is just like, you know, we talked earlier about kind of wife guy pop being utter cringe. This makes sound, this like makes a, an engagement sound like a mission to Mars or something. It's just, it was just so forward thinking at the time, but also catchy and massively successful. And it's rare that all of that comes together. And he was the dude doing it, a guy from, you know, a cringe guy from a boy band. So, so, yeah great show speaking of cringe what have you got for me all right so this is a <laughs> this is a pop star who was forced into a solo dumb when his mate decided to become uh, a solo star and you can kind of hear whose template he's using on this one take a listen Yeah, um, Andrew Ridgely there of Wham fame um, with Shake. Maybe expectations weren't too high. I do wonder at the time, like, was it common knowledge back then how little he contributed to Wham? Um, I will say that, like, unlike a lot of other kind of pop groups that start out, you know, useless and then spawn useless solo careers, Wham obviously had something. Uh, it was George Michael, but you know they have great songs, and he kind of <laughs> he, he did look that. out. Yeah, Andrew Ridgely did kind of look out because like he, I think his mom was a teacher, and George Michael came to a school, and she's like, "Will you take him under your wing?" And he did, and they became really good mates. And George Michael just like made Wham, and then made George Michael, and he was kind of along for the ride. Not even kind of on recorded work a lot of the time, um, not doing a lot. Although George did always say that like his support was invaluable. They remained really good friends, which was lovely. I think George Mike gave him like a co-writing credit on Curtis Whisper just so he'd be like, okay, financially. So they have their big Wembley farewell concert as well. It's like 70,000 people. 1986 and CBS record gives um, an option on the contract for solo albums from George and also Andrew Um, so obviously George Michael just became a star and Andrew did this thing it was an album called Son of Albert in 1990 Um, Son of Albert being him because Albert originally was his dad and singles included Shake and Red Dress which I've got a clip of as well we might give that a little go um, just because it's also hilarious That is that is Motley Crue by way of ZZ Top. He's done it. It really is. Yeah, it really is. It was big in Australia, apparently. The only Congratulations. By big, I mean like it got to number 30. Um, it's, it was clear he didn't really know what he was doing. He got like, obviously a bunch of songwriters in. I think George helped him on the first song, which is kind of 
or at least one of his so- his kind of songwriting partners did because it clearly is going for that faith thing of just like minimal acoustic guitar and then into a bit of a bop but it's just karaoke machine stuff um and yeah just this kind of flopped he went off to just you know enjoy his money and think he's living a quiet life and just having a nice time and he seems like a nice man and actually in interviews when George Michael would talk about his own troubles despite his success he'd say you know Andrew had had it right he just kind of is living his life and enjoying hanging out on the beach and going for nice meals and drinking lots of wine and having a great time so I guess he won ultimately just not musically. Oh well you can't win them all but sometimes you can sometimes you can find incredible you know I guess creative endeavors you can find love you can start a family and maybe they can have creative endeavors as well so while this next act <laughs> is solo he's got a little bit of help is Hamilton Lighthizer uh, alongside his wife, his two daughters and his two nieces as part of the NPR Tiny Desk performance that they put out last year, I believe on American Father's Day or there or thereabouts. That song is Here They Come, taken from The Loves of Your Life, his album from last year, which for me just gets better the more I hear it. And unfortunately, Hamilton Lighthizer was a gig that was one of the kind of the first ones of like, oh, we, we you know, we, we, we didn't get to go. He had to cancel and, you know, gigs were never seen again. Uh, previously, the frontman, the tall, domineering frontman of The Walkmen, the amazing band who have The Rat, which is one of my favourite songs of all time, just about scraping my top ten. If, if not in there, it's certainly on the edge of it. And this, you know, like, he went solo. He put out a record called Black Hours in 2014, which I found to be very enjoyable. He's got that voice, which may be the best voice in all of music. I know it's a big statement, but I think he's in the conversation. <laughs> wow. It's a big statement, but he's in the conversation. <laughs> Come on. Let he's me have it. A conversation. <laughs> wow. Not this conversation. I don't know if he's Aretha Clearly. Franklin, but... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> that's, that, that, that's a Patreon exclusive discussion we can have. Aretha Franklin cool. versus Hamilton Lighthouser. Um, and yeah, then eventually he teams up with Rostam, who himself had left Vampire Weekend to go solo and do his own thing. They have that amazing record, I Had a Dream That You Were Mine, in 2016. And then he comes back again with this one there last year. So, I mean, I guess, you know, kind of cheating here. He's someone who continues to work with people, including ex-members of the Walkman, you know, like it's not like that was an acrimonious thing, but I think for an indie band like them, who were kind of always on the fringes, certainly hipster darlings, always made, pretty much consistently made great music. Um, but they, I guess they hit that wall, you know, and it's like, where do you go from here? The dude goes solo, he becomes his kind of troubadour journeyman thing, 
And I think it really, really suits him. I think it works for his vocal style. I think it works for the stories he's telling. Hamilton Lighthouser songs to me feel like short stories. I had the pleasure of interviewing him. Uh, I think it's on a new Ankh episode from a long time ago. Uh, night when he played when he, when he played the Workmans, and like he's a showman. You know, he feels like. And again, we don't have the new Ankh updated bingo sheet just yet. But if we did, he feels like a character who could have popped up in the Roadhouse in Twin Peaks season three. Like he just has that kind of. Uh, I guess otherworldliness to him. He seems kind of extraordinary in his way, but also incredibly relatable. It just works for me on on, on such a, an intrinsic level. And I think his solo run could be as interesting, if not more so, than the Walkman stuff. What do you think? Um, That's a big call. Um, I do love both. I love this song. It was in my top 20 tracks of the year. Um, it's just such a great conceit for a song as well. Just this kind of like intervention being staged in a cinema, which is class. Um, but yeah, he's he continues to just do fantastically. I think he's like just continuing the tread of really quality music. Um, that he left off with the Walkman, and um, yeah, didn't didn't kind of miss a beat. Um, when he made that step. Okay. Well, I move into my number three. I'm going to yes. cheat as well slightly in this one, right? <laughs> because this is not totally post-band because these guys are still going. But it's post-band being at all creative and post the main guys kind of speaking to each other and it could have been the end. Um, so this is delving into like classic rock. Um, it's not just musically bankrupt, but it's politically awful. Sorry, is it... Uh, extremely is it, soulless. Is it, Go ahead. is it Andrew Ridgely again? Is that where we're going? <laughs> It could well have been. Um, No, it's someone worse. It's someone that likes Margaret Thatcher. Here you go. No sitting down on your butt. The world don't owe you. No sitting down in a rut. I want to show you. Don't waste your energy on making enemies. Just take a deep breath and work your way up. Let's work. Be proud. Yeah, <laughs> the voice that's also on Gimme Shelter, Sympathy for the Devil. <laughs> South America! <laughs> yeah, the very same era, of course. Mick Jagger uh, going solo, showing what happens when Keith is not by his side. That's Let's Work. And yeah, um, so we all know that kind of Bowie collaboration. Um, and it has its defenders as well when it, it cropped up I'm uh, one previously of on the show, to, Dancing to in the Streets. Day. You are one, yeah. <laughs> this though, <laughs> this. <laughs> um, you know I've got a bugbear for like capital, weird capitalist pop songs you've got like Rihanna's work and I think Britney Spears had one where it's just like these anthems to like just try really hard all the time and get ahead I believe um, I think it started that was called yeah, Work Bitch Craig I think that, I, Work I think Bitch yes and of course then there's Work From Home Fifth Harmony we're ahead of the oh. curve oh my god I feel like they it knew. starts it starts with Mick Jagger striking out alone uh, in the mid 80s around about the time he was saying do you know what Margaret Thatcher isn't so bad and <laughs> he's reiterated <laughs> that in recent Jesus. years where he's like um, uh, he was saying you know in the in the 80s and 90s I met her a couple of times I don't want to talk about uh, what we talked about um, but I was slightly surprised by all the people that were still so anti her and had all this residual resentment and yeah he's a big like Tory head um, famously his solo career was very plastic 80s rubbishy stuff this was off the second solo album Primitive Cool 
which did not do any business. Um, <laughs> really what a terrible title. <laughs> yeah, primitive cool. And yeah, like he cropped up with a, another solo song recently enough. And shockingly, it wasn't him going all Van Morrison. It was him um, being concerned about Brexit. Um, do you remember England lost? No, I do not. That terrible. It used like football analogies to be like, oh, we're onto a, uh, you know, we're onto a loser here, lads. Little England isn't good. So it's like we lost the match. It was terrible lyrically as this is. And um, yeah, it's just really, really bad. Shocking. Um, like Keith, shocking Ra- Keith Richards that, um, was was asked about it. <laughs> he was asked. He's he's um, been surprisingly dismissive of Jagger's solo work. Um, and he kind of said, he told the enemy a couple of years ago, what did he have? Two albums? Um, they had something to do with his ego. He really had nothing to say for himself. <laughs> and so it proved. <laughs> Just great. And they stuck together in the long run and kept gigging and kept raking it in and kept working, which is the most important <laughs> thing in life. Get out of bed in the morning. Um, even if you don't have a job, find one. Fucking hell. I was going to say that it's like shocking that like a millionaire rock star couldn't identify with the struggles of labouring miners and people who were fucked over by a horrible regime. Shocking enough. Uh, wow, that was horrendous. Kind of has a bit of a Maxwell Silver Hammer vibe to it, though, that may find me going to listen to it after this podcast. For journalistic purposes, I assure you. Now, uh, for my number two this week in the best post solo adventures uh it's nice when we kind of have these weeks where we get to i guess achieve some balance and that's what i will do right now Settle down, Andrew. This is how it's done. It's George Michael with Faith, of course. And yeah, I mean, look, I didn't get to talk about George Michael when Royal Yellow was on the show a few months ago. And you guys did sexy and least sexy songs and outside cropped up in the sexy department, as it well should. Amazing. And it made me go, oh yeah, that's an amazing song I haven't heard in forever. And then you go down the George Michael rabbit hole and then we did the No Popcorn Last Christmas episode, which we all didn't enjoy to some extent. Yeah. But the one thing, the one constant here is that George Michael was amazing. Uh, it kind of goes without saying. Um, it's interesting because, like, you've you know you've already contrasted the whole wham thing. Uh, we weren't you know alive slash I guess grown up enough to understand wham and all that kind of stuff. And when someone goes solo, it feels in hindsight blindingly obvious that George Michael is a star. Was always going to be a star. I wonder if it was that obvious at the time. I wonder if it was just so, so open and shut, or if there was any gamble. Obviously, he was incredibly provocative and controversial because he was homosexual, like ridiculous shit, yeah. you know, like tabloids couldn't handle it up until outside and beyond. I mean, ridiculous, horrible stuff. But like the guy, like is and will always be a superstar. There's simply no question. He has that kind of DNA, that magic, that otherworldly alienness. And I just wonder if it was always that obvious. I mean, like, like he's not a flawless artist. He had his duds, but he remained this incredible figure, I thought. Yeah. You know, a lot of Wham stuff was kind of lightweight. And that was like by design. Like he was very smart and trying to have fun with the whole pop medium. So that was the image they portrayed. But I guess when he starts his solo career... And I actually think this was a track on like the last Wham album it was one of those weird crossover things, but it was billed as George Michael. Uh, like when Careless Whisper comes out, I guess at that point, everyone was like, okay, he's going to be just fine. Um, 
And yeah, this song is one of my favourites. Freedom 90s, incredible. You mentioned outside, there's an amazing, um, his Parkinson appearance around about that time is incredible after the controversy. Um, he kind of sits down with Michael Parkinson for whatever, the length of a show. And it's just really open about being like, okay, I've been stitched up here. Um, I'm not embarrassed. Um, I'm, got, I'm able to laugh along with it. And like, there's still loads of that horrible kind of... <clears throat> Uh, just all those attitudes of the time and Parkinson's questions are a little weird and it all feels odd except for George Michael who is very modern and handles it with such grace and does a stripped down version of Outside which is about that incident where he totally owns it one of the best pop songs of the 90s and it's just like Jesus this guy is bulletproof incredible and uh, yeah yeah he had to feature in this list and I'm glad he does it would have been absolutely irresponsible of me not to put him in. So yeah, an icon. Rest in peace, sir. Uh, you're up next. Yes. Back in the worst corner. Okay. Um, listen, you know, Jagger still elicits warm feelings for me, despite it all. Moves like Jagger. That's a very good thing. So <laughs> his name still holds weight. But the mere mention of the name of this dude, however, um, yeah, he's desperately spent like decades trying to milk and destroy his iconic band. So it was odd that he ever tried to strike it out alone, but I guess his ego really is that big. I don't hate it, Craig, says Sonic Architect Adam. Choice nominated, sounding less uh, also gilded by it the to Tame Impala, which I think says more about Tame Impala than it does about Mike Love of the Beach Boys there with Looking Back With Love, get it? And he does not wear out that pun at all over the course of this album. Um, it was 1981. It was a rough decade for the boys. Um, actually, do you know what? Mike Love returned to his solo career a few years ago with um, an album called Unleash the Love, <laughs> the working title <laughs> of which I found out was quite brilliantly Mike Love Not War, <laughs> which is good. Oh, you didn't go on. with it at all. <laughs> Are you kidding me? <laughs> That's really good. But this debut, yeah, it's at a time when, you know, Brian Wilson has kind of checked out the, the proper genius of the Beach Boys, of course. Um, he had a lot of struggles over the years, particularly in the 80s. This debut is Mike Love mainly doing covers um, in that like sun-kissed barbershop style. This is kind of like what the Beach Boys sound like to people that have never heard them and just think they're cheesy and cringe, just stripped of all the genius and, you know, the kind of heavenly harmonies and stuff. It's that caricature version and it's absolutely horrible. And yeah, this kind of sank without a trace. Mike Love just, you know, he is the villain of the Beach Boys, I would say. So he's like the cousin. Um, He was like the business savvy one, creatively kind of void of any decent ideas. He was the guy that made sure he got a writing credit on Good Vibrations just because he included the line, she's giving me the excitations. (laughs) And like, you know, uncharitable people would say that he is responsible for like the collapse of Smile and Brian's kind of mental health issues and struggles. He was just really hard on him. He wouldn't let him work with other writers. Um, At best, you could say 
He didn't add a lot to the band. And since the kind of the main lineup broke up, he did a lot of kind of unpleasant stuff. There was a speech when they got into Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in the 80s where he was just arrogant as anything. He sued Brian, uh, his own family, for more songwriting credits, which he didn't deserve later on. He has the name of the Beach Boys still, which he tours. Um, they they recently rocked up at uh, a Trump fundraiser back in October. Oh, you nice. might have seen the, the video footage of Don Jr. being like, oh, look, none of us are wearing masks and it's the Beach Boys. It was not the Beach Boys. It was Mike Love and <laughs> whoever he had roped in i think john stamos helps him out on drums sometimes um but yeah all of the solo stuff completely pathetic um and this is pretty much the worst of it i'm giving him points for mike love not war though or i guess i'm taking them away because yes, he didn't go with it i mean like that like it is very impressive well that sums him up you know squandering <laughs> great creativity <laughs> Okay, uh, number one for me in the best post-band solo adventures. So I'm going to play you a clip and it's, uh, it's, it's not music. It's a speech before a song from a live show. And it'll set the context, it'll set the scene. And then we're going to have a bit of a conversation about this guy, I think. About a year ago, we invited a high school choir in Detroit, Michigan to do an interpretation of this next song. The song's called Everybody's Coming to My House. Thank you. And in my version, and that's the version you're going to hear, it, it kind of sounds like the singer is not sure how he feels about everybody coming over to his house. And you can sense, although he never says it in the song, you can sense that he's thinking, when are they going to leave? In contrast, their version, and this was kind of a profound thing for me, they didn't change a single lyric, they didn't change the melody, and yet their version has a completely different meaning. Their version seems to be about welcome, inviting everyone over, inclusion. I kind of liked their version better, and I didn't know how they did it. Unfortunately, I am what I am. Not sure how to take that applause. So yeah, that is, of course, David Byrne there, speaking as part of David Byrne's American Utopia, taken from the Spike Lee-directed HBO special that went out there in December, I think, which I watched this week. Yeah. Uh, and I caught that show when it hit the Three Arena in 2018, I believe, I think it was. And I mean, like, the, here's the thing, right? So David Byrne, talking heads, you know, a high concept hero, a legend to many. I can't claim to be a huge talking heads guy. I can't claim to be a huge David Byrne guy. But when I was looking at this list and the idea of going solo, making a name for yourself, becoming iconic, becoming like so uh, well regarded and cited and referenced and thought of, I, I was like, it's got to be David Byrne, right? Like, he's got to be number one because it makes the most sense. He's so often talked about and continues to make great stuff. I mean, like, you know, he mentions the song there, Everybody's Coming to My House. I fucking love that song. It's so good uh, from his recent album from a couple of years ago. And being present that night in the Three Arena for that show, I mean, it was 
one of the greatest shows I've ever seen. It was close to a religious experience. Uh, the person I brought with me, she's a huge fan and she was just fucking awestruck and I was kind of living vicariously through her. It was just an unbelievable experience. For anyone who doesn't hasn't seen the show, it is, of course, high concept. It's like nothing I've ever seen. It's David Byrne and his team of musicians. They're all wearing grey suits. They're all barefoot. They all have different kind of portable instruments and they mill around the stage like a play. The choreography is unbelievable. Uh, it's a commentary on the world and yet it feels incredibly insular. There's a moment in the show on the Broadway version that I watched where after the first couple of songs he addresses the audience and he says uh, ladies and gentlemen thank you for leaving your homes tonight which hits different in 2021 I'll tell you mm. and it's like I guess from the clip I played there I think you capture his character like he's he's puckish he's playful he's deferential he's gracious to others and yet he's completely in control and in command and he has this ability to play with the room to play with people to play with music itself as he has done he is of course has written books on the subject he is thought of as like this encyclopedic genius who lives among us and yeah I mean like I don't know enough about him. I don't know enough about Talking Heads. I don't have the education. I haven't deep dived enough. But I know that I'm witnessing a living legend. I know that we're t- like someone who is on that level. Like we talk about standing on the shoulders of giants, and I feel like David Byrne is one of those giants. Uh, is is the hype earned? Is that real, or has he managed to just create this incredible magic trick for himself? What do you think? Um, I think the magic trick is the art and it is incredible and it's well earned and he would be very pleased with this placing because um, famously he spent much of his Talking Heads career trying to leave the band behind <laughs> and he had scenarios where like he wouldn't be talking to the band members who he didn't really get on with or you know they just didn't have the chemistry really musically they did for sure but personally he wouldn't talk to them for kind of years at a time and they'd be like David are we doing another album or like there's stories where they worked famously with Brian Eno uh, as producer and they would do, do things like have to invite Brian Eno who David Byrne was like infatuated with uh, because he thought he was musically brilliant they would invite Brian Eno to like a jam sessions <laughs> and then call up David Byrne and be like oh Brian's over here why don't you join us and he'd go oh r- really Brian's there I'll come over and suddenly they'd have like a Talking Heads album because it's the only <laughs> way they could coax him over to the studio so he was desperate to escape and yeah like he was I think he already appeared on the cover of Time magazine in the late 80s just as David Byrne when Talking Heads were still together and the band were like what's all this then? <laughs> um, so yeah he's become even more of an icon um, I enjoyed American Utopia um, the Spike Lee version was so well filmed it was great it was yeah just you couldn't really fault it I will say it was a bit kind of precious like it felt very theatrical do you know what I mean oh, yeah, just like time, the yeah. performers are almost too good like I, I adore Stop Making Sense where it just feels like so spontaneous and um I actually watched Stop Making Sense um, on New Year's Eve into New Year's Day. And that is something I'm going to be doing every year. It's such like everyone hates kind of New Year's Eve, but just watch Stop Making Sense. It's such a good way to usher in the new year. Um, Yeah, his last album was really, really good. Uh, We gave it great reviews on this very show. And I love his collaborations. He's done good stuff with St. Vincent, Brian Eno again. I think uh, 2008, they released another album together. And there's an amazing song called Strange Overtones uh, on that one. And yeah, he's, you know, musically, artistically, he can do no wrong in my eyes. He's such a kind of unique character. Um, He's out of step with much of the rest of the world. And that's what makes him brilliant. And he knows exactly who he is. And yeah, he's iconic. 
Yeah, I'll close by saying that, and I've said this before, but like, um, after that show, as it ended, you know, an hour and a half or whatever of just like feeling like you were genuinely taken to another place in the world or another yeah. place in the universe. And that does come through. I mean, like watching like, you know, kind of concert footage on TV, there is that obvious disconnect, but I would recommend people track this down. Um, <laughs> another famous David, I looked up to my left and Dave Fanning, uh, Irish broadcaster himself, hero to many, was standing next to me and I couldn't help it. And I went, what did you think? you know a few beers deep that i was and dave fanning uh unusually succinct for him said huh, good songs were good crap songs were crap <laughs> i was just like fuck me hard Jesus. to impress i know right well, jaded, one, even David by our Byrne, standards all the way i know yeah he made me look like a fucking n- the non-cynic for once uh who have you got for me at number one in the worst corner craig Okay, uh, let's come crashing back down to earth. Most specifically, um, uh, a school in Dublin in the 1980s. Walked by the Christian brothers in the cell blocks at our schools. Get a handprint on your skin from the club of jewels. Listening, ISIS. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's this dope Brian McFadden with Irish son. <laughs> Fucking hell! How did I not um, see this coming? Perfect. Yeah, I've long maintained that no one does terrible pop music like Ireland does. Um, it's a badge of honor. Like I never enjoyed Westlife, and um, this guy agreed. He did a zane where he's like, I, "I am not feeling my band, so I'm going to break free and do something authentic." And uh, he was taking some shots at his home country as he went. Um, this was one of his first singles. I think it was if the follow-up to Real to Me, which had a bit of success, but this did not. Um, 2004, he worked with Guy Chambers. So what we have here is a lot of like songs that Robbie Williams rejected musically, I think. And then just really driving home that thing of like, yeah, Brian McFadden, he'll, you know, speak his mind and... <laughs> He was doing lots of interviews at the time where he'd be wearing like a Kurt Cobain t-shirt and he grew his hair long and he's like, this is what, you know, I'm really into rock and roll as you can hear from that song. And yeah, Irish Sun is like the main offender for me where it's like obviously, you know, an anti-Catholic church protest song, which is very, very much fair enough. But then hilariously, um, it kind of came out that, you know, the school he went to didn't really have any Christian brothers when he was there at the time. There was an investigation launched and like the CBS school was just like, we don't know what he's talking about. And he was shooting video at like a genuine school that had like no, you know, where nothing had taken place. And um, there was a huge, huge uproar about it. He was just totally making it up. And I think people were calling it, he was basically piggybacking on, um, you know the, what was the quote I think I've the quote here yeah he was jumping on a bandwagon of pain in his home country which I think is fair like he seems like a disingenuous kind of guy um, so yeah this is Brian McFadden um, but also sorry that line of like you know put your hands on me now Ned that I'm twice your I'm size I'm twice your size it's Jesus. real come on ISIS isn't it like that's <laughs> his thing He's he'll take you all on Oh my god. See, see uh, Ronan Keaton this like, like about a week ago put up a tweet saying like, hey, at Boris Johnson, come meet me in a yeah. park for a chat. And I'm like, oh my god, the, the Brian McFadden calling out ISIS vibes off this. What is going on with these guys? 
I mean, uh, at least Ron Keating had the likes of roller coaster. I will, won't hear a word bad said said about him. But no, um, he was my yeah, last I, Joe interview, and he was a gent. I have nothing but time for the man. Yeah, one of the greats. Brian McFadden should take note. Um, his career has not gone that far. Um, I don't know if we need to say this. Like, I'm, you know, <laughs> we know everything that followed. Songs like "Drunk at the Bar," "Fuck's Sake," um, when he launched that um, alternative um, late late toy show. Do you remember that? Was it on TV? Three? Yeah. Who who doesn't follow me? Of course, you know. <laughs> And yeah, that's Brian McFadden. I think he, prior to the pandemic, he was touring um, Britain and Ireland with Keith Duffy as Boys, Boys Life, Life yeah, or something yeah. like that. So yeah, happy for them. Happy for them. Good stuff. Uh, I'll I'll stick the boot in further and say, dreadful human being, one of the worst people this country has ever <laughs> produced. And it's a terrible shame that we even know who he is. But a uh, hell of a way to end the list. And listen, I mean, in fairness, what other show, what other podcast is going to bring together David Byrne and Brian McFadden as it was meant to be? <laughs> That's how it works. That's how we do. And producing the show for us this week is our wonderful Choice Music Prize nominated Sonic Architect, Adam Shanahan. Uh, you'll get us also on Patreon slash noancore if you'd like to support the show throw us the price of a pint that you won't be buying etc in return you'll get bonus episodes you'll get playlists and you'll get our undying love uh, there is stuff coming down the line soon we're still working on other projects as best we can in the midst of all this mire but most importantly we just love hearing from you and we love that you listen to our show uh, quiz coming again probably soon in a few months Craig you can, you can get prepping for that uh, for sure we'll take them all on <laughs> but we're back to our regular rotation so we're back next Friday with uh, more fun and games and uh, I guess we'll see what goes down so um, I don't know man I mean like it just it feels weird ending the show on Brian McFadden like I, f- I feel genuinely kind of conflicted and strained like it just it's kind of set me off kilter for the evening I don't know what to do now it kind of goes back to like the joy of the Biden evening and then me waking up the next day in the cold light of day and being like fuck I think you know that transition is the same isn't it the kind of ecstasy of Burns genius and then Brian McFadden fuck Okay, well, thank you for bringing that mood to us and to the listeners and everybody. Stay safe out there, everybody. My name is David William Hanrady. This has been No Encore. There will be No Encore. And we're back next week. This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. This isn't just basketball. This is the NBA playoffs. And with William Hill Sportsbook, you can dial up the playoff intensity from the palm of your hand. Just download the William Hill mobile app and your first bet of up to $500 is risk-free using promo code RADIORF. New users only. Must be 21 years or older and present in Virginia to bet. Paid in free bets. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call, text, or chat our confidential and toll-free helpline at 1-888-532-3500. William Hill Sportsbook. Proud partner of the NBA. Let's make it interesting. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, 
all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.